The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. With fantastic support, half of Ireland were here, the rest of them are hopefully smiling at home. We had a bet earlier in the year, 20 euros, that if we won it I wouldn't cry, but it's uh, the best 20 quid I'll ever spend. He's Eastlet. well he picks it up quickly and off he goes, drops it off the Hinshaw! Robbie Hinshaw scores it! Rugby history! Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time! Hello and welcome to episode one of The Hard Yards, the sports show rugby podcast from a palatial studio in Dublin 8. I'm Andy McGeady. On this week's show, we're going to talk about what we saw happen in the Six Nations over the weekend. And around this table, I'm joined by former Leinster and Ireland player Kevin McLaughlin. Hello, Kev. Hey, Andy. And sports Joe rugby reporter Pat McCarry. Hello, hey. Pat. Hey, how are you, Zoe? And on the line from Daddy Daycare in Cork, we have Dunica O'Callaghan. Dunica, say hello to the internet. How are you, Andy? How are you getting on? Pretty good. And later we'll have Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes, who'll be dropping in to set us all straight about how the results from the weekend impacted who's seen as favourites for the Six Nations. And this is the first one where bonus points are in play. And Ireland got the first bonus point. Yes. Aren't we great? <laughs> That's a, a pub quiz question that we're never going to forget now. We're never going to be allowed to forget by all the Scots either. It is, yeah. Um, where did you watch the game? I, uh, I actually watched it from the comfort of my own home. Uh, something that I've enjoyed and Dunnock will enjoy in about 16 years time when he retires <laughs> is uh, throwing my feet up uh, on the couch with a cold beer and watching lads uh, kick the crap out of each other That's good, that's what rugby's all about isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Exactly, exactly the, uh, Dunnock, what were you doing? Yeah, I watched it at home but I the complete opposite it's trying to get hold of and remote control between watching like different things like Sophia the First and <laughs> Paw Patrol so you're <laughs> I mean, that's some, we've got some audio here of uh, of Joe Schmidt from after the game talking about that slow start. Yeah, especially in the first half. I think uh, you know, there were a lot of bodies on the floor in the breakdown and it, it did make it very hard. Um, and uh, you know, Connor was reaching over and kind of the ball was slow and it just made it very difficult for Paddy. And because the ball was slow, they had the initiative of getting off the line and they did it really well. So Paddy always felt crowded in that first half. Um, Whereas I think the reverse was probably true of of uh, of them. They they got some really good quick front football and um, and did a really good job with it. And that slow start was a bit of a theme um, because Sean O'Brien uh, talking after the game was also talking about that. And uh, then we'll have a bit of a question from Pat McCarry who was over there reporting on it for Sports Joe. Yeah, they were. Yeah, you know, whether it be legal or illegally, but. Um, you know, we have to sort out that. And we, well, we did in the second half. You know, there is some positives. We had a lot of, a lot of opportunities to actually score more tries out there. John, you, you didn't have any qualms about saying you were going for a Grand Slam before this all started, from a kind of personal perspective. But mm. is the championship still on? Is that the kind of mood and the, within the camp kick off again next week and go for it again? Of course it is, yeah. Yeah, that's, 
you know, that's your mindset. That's what we have to be uh, going after, yeah. Pull ourselves together this week and uh, regroup and, um, you know, put in performance next weekend. From a personal perspective, how did you kind of feel? You got on like 65 solid minutes, a couple of good line breaks. Were you happy enough with how you Yeah, I was happy enough, you know, obviously. A lot to improve on as well, probably, when I look back. But, um, yeah, good to get minutes under my belt, but a disappointing result. And just a, sorry, a word from the, about the Scottish guys. Uh, we heard Johnny Gray put in 28 tackles. Those lads, the two brothers, actually put in an immense performance. Yeah, two boys, massive work rates are there, and they're everywhere. Um, you know, they showed up everywhere today, and two exceptional players, and that's why they're in the team. Everything started a bit slow. Um, Pat, you were actually at the ground early, but not everybody got there early. What the hell happened? You should have given the lads a lift, Pat. You were early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was early. I, I, I thought it was clearing the way for them, but um, but yeah, they got there. They got there too late in the end, or, or, or seven minutes late, which which doesn't seem like the latest thing in the world. But uh, it was a thing that Joe Schmidt kept bringing up again, like it, not only in air post match interview, but in, in chats with RTE and BBC as well. And I suppose it just kind of throws throws everything off. And it, it was even a theme that um, you could just kind of see there was a bit of tension there, and even in in the post-match thing we had the Scots show up ahead of the Irish and that threw off the IRFU as well because Schmidt came in late and, and everything was messed up so um, you know it doesn't seem like a major thing maybe to fans at home because the game started on time but um, maybe just kind of it just knocks everything else the kind of domino effect yeah. and I, you have to realise as a player you're so tense and tied anyway and uh, the only thing I used to do as a player anyway is to, to deal with my nerves make sure that everything planned out to the last second and you prepare all week for, for things to work out in a certain way and the likes of Enda McNulty would have worked on us and being prepared for things going wrong so you are aware that things can change and your schedule will be knocked off but Joe wants to make sure that everything runs like clockwork so that the players have no excuses and yeah. go out and do their jobs and seven minutes doesn't sound like a lot but he'll have everything planned out to the last 30 seconds um, I remember playing Scarlets in the European Cup in 2011 uh, when Joe was coach and we were, we were beating everyone by lots of points at that stage and we were on the way to the ground and got caught in traffic on the way um, to Parky Scarlets and I just remember the feeling that pit my stomach while Joe was doing the team talk on the coach um, and I knew we were arriving like 20 minutes before kickoff and we scraped a win that day against the Scarlet side we'd planned to get a bonus point against and no matter what you say and what the guys have to say it's not going to impact on us because they're pros and they have to do their job but it does it, for me it has an impact and it uh, adds an extra layer of complexity to what is already a really really tough game we had actually uh, spoke to even someone like Jack McCaffrey who plays for Dublin before and he was saying that he listens to the same set list of music on the way into Crow Park for a game and he knows at certain parts of the drive what songs will come on and what he's listening to so like it's it's that much of a routine that some players probably get into and so that kind of probably threw them off again and yeah you could, they, I'm sure they have everything timed down to the minute especially yeah. someone like Joe yeah. so you could probably see how that would probably affect things as well and, and I suppose Dunica you might have experienced stuff like that as well of um, you know a late 100%. start yeah, you're 100% right. Like, a small thing just from myself personally, the time, how long it took to come back from the captain's run to to the hotel. So you had a rough gauge of, of how long that journey should take. And then you, you know, you might actually, for me, I listen to music on the bus and you'd make up a playlist to last whatever it is, 23 minutes or whatever it is of of the time. So when when things get kicked out a little bit about that and you're chatting about elite sport now, it's it's not like, you know, where small margins don't count. These are big, big things. And, you know, you, you've got to look into everything. The Irish team have new management in place now. Uh, 
McCarney's gone and you know you wonder like I remember when I was involved Dave the bus driver used to drive the route the morning of it to time it and make sure everything was right and that you know he things planned so you know the, the days are just you know it, it's not like your local rugby team or GAD team where they just rock up this is you know the national team and everything that goes around it between police escort but one thing and and I remember it myself coming into Murrayfield that used to drive me crazy. At the top of the gate, they have a load of bagpipes ready to escort the bus in. And I used to find it the most frustrating thing of all time because, as Kev said there, you're, you're, you're ready for kickoff. You're, you're in game mode. And to have to move so slowly behind these <laughs> bagpipes, you know, you just want to get out and nearly kick them around the place. So, um, so they've you already, so they've already got that one up and now they decide that they're not going to, you know, well, what did the police do? Did they did they show up or did they just not bother, you know? Yeah, apparently well, the police were there, but uh, apparently they normally clear the traffic and it's just like, make way, we're coming through. But but apparently this time the, the police were waiting for red lights or letting fans go. And um, so I don't know if there's collusion here. This is going to be late gate or something like that. But um, but yeah. But, they, but to they, be clear, it's absolutely not an excuse. Not an excuse at all, no. And, and we shouldn't <coughs> be spending any, any time talking about this at all. But mm-hmm. Schmidt's a master of planting these little things in his press conferences as well and that's all he did in planting the players won't use it as an excuse mm. they'll be they'll be looking at what they did wrong in the game uh, you you got to park it and get on with the game and that's the fact and, and that's it but they did like they started well at the set piece but you did see in that first half the Irish mm. players were not winning collisions with the ball um, they were getting blown out of it by the Scots if you see this and Sean O'Brien said it in, in some of his post-match comments it's up to them to sort it out whether the Scots are doing it legally or illegally it's up to them to sort it out so um, I mean Kev from your perspective ex-back rower if you're seeing that going on what do you do? It's not easy it wasn't just a defensive rook they were really uh, their line speed was good they were getting off the line and tackling us behind the gain line and then they were slowing the ball up and they were quite smart they clearly had a good conversation about how Pot referees the defensive rook and the tackler if you notice was slow to get to his feet and he was making a pest of himself and mm-hmm. then they were getting one or two more men in um, to disrupt so it was very hard um, in, as an attacking team if you're going not getting over the gain line to come back around make that clean out and then the tackler gets up to his feet and he's also in that area and then Murray's kind of reaching in for the ball yeah. um, they were quite smart I thought in the way they played Pop because he likes doesn't like giving away penalties and likes to let rooks play out and I thought they were just on the edge for the whole first half and it took Ireland out of their stride and attack on top of that they had Jackson on the back foot they were I think if you look back at the game they were they were firing a defender at him every single time uh, a guy was just going out of the line and sprinting at Jackson he got deeper and deeper as the game went on which, which also stifled Ireland's attack so I thought Scotland were smart uh, I thought they'd done their homework and uh, Vern Cotter and Joe who, who have obviously coached together for a long time are both masters of, of analysing video and maybe Vern just got a slight edge for this particular game yeah, because I, I would have been critical of, of Jackson, even watching the game live at, at the start. You just all of a sudden look back, and as you said, as the game went on, he's dropping further and further back, and you're asking, what is going on here? And then you kind of start going, is am I getting something wrong? Is it Are they not giving him quick ball? It was a little bit of that, but um, yeah, it looked like, as you said then, that they were, they were sending a man out after him, and he just looked like he hesitated against. And it's a thing of... You don't mention Johnny Sexton too much, but it's like you could just say he just doesn't have that same aura about him as well. And um, so, so that was kind of his problem. Like he, he tends to do that a little bit. I thought he did that against New Zealand as well um, when he played back in November. But the, my big thing was just um, 
we kind of knew what Glasgow were going to bring like you know you, they played against Munster and they were just dirty bastards like that as well and going after Murray as well and so the big thing was like you knew they were going to replicate this again because I was saying even coming in I arrived into Glasgow heading to the game and taxi driver was like yeah we murdered you boys like you know and I was trying to bring it like hey hold on a second Munster beat you twice as well but they knew what they were going to bring and then the whole thing is about it like um, you had Stander O'Brien Heaslip all ball carriers but who's going to go in there and, and do the dirty work as well and um, you know who's that guy who's going to be dirty as well and kind of just maybe lay somebody out I know I know, we're not talking about that too much but like just put a big hit in and let somebody know get the hell out of here like. but even the way the team's set up I mean you've not a lot even if you look at the backs there's not a lot of players there who be known for getting down and dirty you know there's no tremble we're years away from having Darcy and O'Driscoll there who are like two auxiliary back rowers um, it, as you say the pack mm. was set up for carrying yeah. is it that Rory Best was there on his lonesome trying to disrupt stuff um, you know Dunica I mean if you see that going on is it just about being big and awkward and testing the ref until he finally penalises you or is it about actually an emotional thing of winning that collision yeah, I suppose, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it was as dirty as we're probably giving it credit for. I know there's history throughout it, and we look at the, you know, the provincial games and what went on in that. But, you know, I know you're pointing out Paddy. I think he grew into the game. I think that kick on the kind of 33rd minute, you could see him grow in confidence, and I think he went on to play really well after that. For me personally, I was disappointed with Conor Murray. I, I thought... He played well, but I think we're used to him being world-class. And I think, you know, he was at international standard yesterday, which, to be fair, we, we kind of expect him to be man of the match most times when he goes out and a real point of difference. For, for me, I just felt his, he, his service, he, just, he passed an awful lot without taking a whole lot out of the ball. I think when he runs and he's a threat to the to, to the defenders in around the rock and Kev will know it if, you, if you're worried about a snipe and nine he keeps the kind of guard and the shield defenders a little bit honest and then you're able to offload to, to Sean and Jamie and, and CJ and you know the, the carrying isn't as tough then for those guys whereas you know I think Connor passed an awful lot from the base and didn't didn't run a lot and I, I just thought the lads ended up running into brick walls a bit and you know, it is very easy. Like it's a mad thing to say, but you will defend one out runners all day if you if you're not worried about nine having a go. And for me, you know, I think that could have been something that they'll definitely look at to improve. Yeah, I agree with you, Dunners. Uh, I thought Paddy had a, had a good game, um, but if yeah. you think about who he's used to playing with and who he plays his best rugby with, it's PNR. And PNR is that type of player who takes a bit out of the ball, sucks in defenders and gives them space. And, and Murray maybe didn't do that as much as he usually does, uh, which I think possibly just put a little bit more pressure on Jackson than he's used to and made it difficult for him, allied with the fact that the Scots are really clever in the way they played the defensive rook and the line speed. It was a difficult, difficult day. OK, so speaking of clever, here's where we get to some of the nerdy bits. So uh, you mentioned earlier on, Kev, that Fern Cotter and Joe worked together for a long time. Joe will not be happy about that line-out try. Um, do you think we have a bit of audio, Rory Best, talking about that? Yeah, we knew they're a quality side like that, and they'll come up with something different. They'll come up with something unique, and you always prepare to for what you've seen before, but you also prepare yourself for something you haven't seen. And, and I just think that we were a little bit... That probably summed up where we were, just a little bit behind. You know, myself and Tag in there um, just didn't quite cover all the bases the way you have to at this level 
So a Joe Schmidt side not covering the bases, that is that is not a good sign. Um, from your perspective, Kev, what did that try look like? So Joe and Simon Easterby will have looked at every single line-out that has ever been done under Vern Cotter, I'd imagine, uh, since he became coach, and they will have looked at them probably 10 times each. And uh, I think it was Pat was saying to me earlier that they've used this move before, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that they won't be happy with themselves because what you do in the lead up to a game like this is you look at the team's special plays. They've normally maybe used five or six special plays in the lead up to a game, and Simon used to be used to be a devil for them in in Scarlets. He used to come up with a new thing all the time, and we'd always be aware of that going into going into a five meter lineout that Scarlets would try something out of the ordinary. So the fact that. Uh, it would have taken only the smallest of adjustment from Ireland for Tyg Furlong to stand side on rather than facing his man and nothing would have happened there but what okay, they've so done here is they've looked at the video footage of Ireland defending with backs in the line out and they've realised that they don't mark the backs and they've said there's a potential for a try here and, and, and they executed it nicely OK so for the people who don't remember exactly what we're talking about you've got the line out a Scottish line out on Ireland's five yard line then suddenly out of nowhere you've got two backs just loitering with no obvious intent up the front. Rory Best is covering the front, so his eyes aren't on him. Tyke Furlong is in a lifting position already, but he's completely turned round with his back to the two of them. Yeah. So if you see that happening and you, th- you smell something wrong, are you just telling Tyke, listen, will you just turn round a bit? Yeah, I actually I actually don't bl- blame Tyke there. That's where I kind of feel maybe someone a bit more experienced like Dunnock Ryan or say we're always in Leinster would have been Shane Jennings who would have been screaming watch the 12 watch the 12 and someone would lift their head up Dunnock there's probably someone in Munster who would have done it as well who just would have been sharp for those kind of opportunities and it's the kind of thing you solve on the park if they've never done that before you have to solve that have you, have you been through many of them Dunnock yourself or yeah and you, you, you're, you're 100% right like Simon and the lads would have looked through these line outs and from going through, it's mainly a, a line-out they drive with, you know, but I've been in, you know, from playing with Simon, and he's always the guy that's asked, what if, you know, and you, you, you'd look at one of these plays, and he'd say, what if they threw it to the 12 there, and, you know, you're kind of thinking, they'll never do it. Like, I'll be honest, that's a cheeky move. It's it's a little bit, because yeah, everyone's expecting the drive there, and it's one of these ones that just comes off the first week of the tournament, and Sometimes, you know, at the big stage, it's it's little ones like that that, you know, you look at that World Cup final for New Zealand, just a simple ball through the line out for Tony Woodcock and they're in, you know, it's sometimes a, a cheeky little play like that and it'll be so frustrating because the game is in the balance at that point and to concede a score like that that's just a little bit saucy, you're kind of thinking maybe it's just not our day if things like that, you know, they just get a walk in for it and I think, you know, you're right, Kev. They'll look back at it and they'll think, "How could we defend it better? Do we put a, do we put a back in there to mark someone?" But I actually think it, it's just, you know, maybe um, someone like Simon will be usually frustrated that they weren't prepped for it going into it. And I know the first week is really tough, and fans will benefit from seeing the lineouts that that Scotland run next week. But you know, they, you you just need to be prepared for the first week for stuff you just don't expect So then the, the try before that was the Stuart Hogg second try the good try um, when you're looking at the replay of this it looks like the two guys come out of nowhere from the wing but Kev again sort of leaning on the, the person who actually knows something about rugby as opposed to this idiot well. <laughs> <laughs> what, what actually happens because from my position of extreme ignorance it looks as if the Irish line is a bit narrow and there's a quick pass to the outside and suddenly we're, out, we're gone what actually happened? 
That's a pretty strong analysis. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, to go into a little bit more depth, it's actually not much more than that. It was off. It was good lineup ball, uh, hit up in the middle, really slow ball. It was about three or four seconds. Uh, they spin out left, and then Hog and Maitland uh, hit the line at real pace. Finn Russell throws a nice pass, but it was we were numbers up. The Irish team were numbers up, and. Uh, I think Jackson turned his shoulders in, which meant Earls had to turn his shoulders in as well, which is what you do in a defensive line. And then Hogg just got on the outside of Earls. Uh, and, and Rob had to stay out. He had to stay out in his man and hope that Earls would get to him. Uh, and that's what happened. And you li- you can't give Hogg an inch of space. He's that dangerous and that quick. Uh, I still thought Earls might have just scragged him down. But like they're, they're the margins. And Andy Farrell will be uh, really disgusted with that try. It was, it was too simple. Because when, you, when you're at the game, Pat, I mean, when you're at the game, the atmosphere, I mean, the place must have been hopping at mm-hmm. that stage with the Scottish fans taking a lead like that. Yeah, yeah, they were, they just really grew into it. And it's just like from getting that early try as well, and they were just right up for it. I don't think they expected it themselves. And like from talking to a few of them before, um, you know, you were talking to people saying Ireland by 10, and these are Scottish fans, and we, we fancy you, you know, like it, it might be tight, but like, you don't fancy your chances. So um, they really got a, an absolute burst, and nobody was expecting Ireland to kind of come out that slow, and especially having started so well against the likes of New Zealand as well, and, and, uh, and having nearly blown Australia away, you know, only a few months back. And um, yeah, like, like from looking at it, I initially blamed Kearney just watching it, for, like watching it live caught a replay of it and then it was all on Earls and this is Earls fault and Earls should have had him and um, but yeah now I've got a third victim and it's it's, it's Paddy Jackson so I'm going to have to have a look back at it again and um, you know it's Jackson kind of you know as you said he grew into the game and did well as well but um, you know we spoke about maybe those things where he got caught under that rook again to give away that penalty as well and so there's a few things he'd have to kind of you can imagine what Monday's going to be like now to, to be playing some of these tries on a loop I'd say all day yeah, and that's well, what they, 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 sorry. Go on, go on, again. They'll certainly be playing that one. That, like I'll be honest with you, that is at international level to score off kind of pretty much two phases is just nowhere, you know, at the level. You know, when you think about it, five man line out, they hit strokes up and they, you know, one miss pass and they score in the corner. If it happened in a schoolboys game, you know, they'd be really disappointed with it. International rugby, you just that is seven points that you just can't afford to give away and I think that is the one that's going to kill Farrell it's going to kill all the players because you work on your systems and how you defend who goes around the corner after the midfield hit but as Joe Schmidt said they were they were passive like Strokes makes game line on that carry and they were slow to set and I think that was um, a really bad score to concede especially after the first one we just we looked a little bit all over the place in defence in the first half. Obviously, they got a ball at, at, at half-time from Farrell and from Rory or whoever it was because, you know, it was a massive defensive improvement. But, you know, whatever about trick plays and line-up plays, scoring ones like that, they tend to happen. But for your system to fall down like it did, just off a five-man line-out and two phases, the score is just not good enough. Uh, it was uh, something mentioned at the end as well it's Finn Russell in the move up to that he's taken two or three steps taking a run at this big massive throw he's going to get he's telegraphing it as well um, who who kind of stands up and kind of says how is Finn Russell allowed kind of get away with this it, was that somebody's responsibility to get out and maybe close down his space as well was that for the first try or? no it's like, like Hogs one um, oh, for Hogs yeah. one yeah I think like if the line speed is better there and if the spacing is better like there's lit- there's no issue I think uh, I think Dunlick is right I think if they set earlier and get their spacing better and they come up square firstly Finn Russell is under a lot more pressure to throw the pass 
and secondly Hogg is getting absolutely smashed as he catches the ball and yeah. that, that should have been the outcome there because there was nothing fancy about what they did apart from the fact that Maitland and, and Hogg steamed onto the ball which which is an intimidating thing because they have such quick footwork but if you're well spaced there and you're looking up and you stay square there's no problem as a defensive line yeah Hogg is, Hogg is a fast human a very he's, fast human he's horrible to defend I've uh, been unfortunate enough to play against him about six or seven times for Glasgow in particular and uh, every time he gets a ball you're just you're trying to stay on your feet because he can turn on a ninepence and he can just turn you inside out and make you look like a fool he's a very, he he's a very a balanced runner yeah um, yeah I think uh, from a defensive structures point of view uh, Jared Payne would have made a difference yeah, yeah. I think uh, Gary Ringrose is an immense talent I have so much time for him um, but from from a pure organisational struct, structural defence point of view Payne has the experience and he's played in that 13 position and and Drico's talked about it a lot you know 13 is the hardest uh, position on the pitch to defend from you've so many decisions to make all the time and Payne is a good marshal in that position I, I, I think uh, Ringrose is, is an excellent talent and is going to be uh, in the centre for a long time but um, I think uh, pain was missed in the game yesterday. Because yeah, that looking back to the similar game where we got done out wide as well, it was Argentina, and that's a game pain missed as well. So it's interesting to see that this is two games that, like you know, it's no coincidence when he's when he's missing, and all of a sudden it's like pain, almost like Sadio Mane with Liverpool. The, the when he's gone, he becomes the most important player in the world. And that's a, that's a brilliant segue. So that's to when we got good. So we came out after half time, and Ireland got good. And that's exact. That's what happened against Argentina. So, look, yeah, what 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 changes? That's just a matter that you go into the dressing room and you can reset, and suddenly you're hitting collisions, and suddenly you fix a couple of small things, because it looked like a different team. But rugby is all about momentum, and like in that Argentina game and with Scotland yesterday, they, like I think we're probably not giving enough credit to how good Scotland were and the tempo they played at and their accuracy when they had the ball and their offloads. Like that's hard to play against, and the quick ball they were getting uh, contrasted with the slow ball we were getting in the first half and you're playing on the front foot and you're playing playing on the front foot and you're playing off quick ball and, and you've got the likes of Hogg and some, some other dangerous backs like it's it's extremely hard to defend So the thing that I suppose some people might not get is that the TV guys tell you that two scores at half time is you know you can come back from this you can still win it doesn't happen if you follow Russ Petty on Twitter anyone who's interested in betting and, sport, and sports should be following this guy Um 13 point deficit at half time five teams in almost 400 test matches who've been down at 13 by half time and they've come back to win it doesn't happen we remember one because the All Blacks did it to Ireland um, it does not happen so it's pretty much game over but Ireland did get back to that stage where they're leading and then suddenly it's can Ireland close it out and then um, Pat's favourite player Paddy Jackson gives away a penalty yeah, yeah, and Jackson all of a sudden had uh, redeemed himself again. Murray, I was thinking his pass was his radar was a bit off. Found him for that try. Everything's going great again. It was a lovely line he ran for that try. Yeah, yeah, and it was just all of a sudden Murray finally got it. Like you know, he just it was on the money. Tracer into his chest over the line. Everything was looking good. I thought uh, there was one move where we had a line out there. I think the land might have spilt it when we just were two or three yards short of the line. Didn't take advantage. All of a sudden they come up the other end. There was a little bit before that I thought Van der Fleer, people talking about having him in there, he lost a big collision with Strauss, knocked him on his on his hole, and uh, then we had Jackson caught in the bottom of something, and he's just he just couldn't get out again. Um, we talked about how maybe Poit was kind of letting the Scots stay in there for a while, but he didn't give Jackson any change. Yeah, really. Jackson was in there for about 15 seconds, I think. Yeah. But I, again, I thought that was smart by the minutes. Scots, and I've been in that position where you're on the ball, and you're trying to get off but the Scottish player was holding them down there yeah, they yeah. were milking a penalty there and they were pretty smart they pinned them on top of the ball 
because and, and force pot into giving the decision. Are, are you saying that back rows deliberately hold people in to try and fill referees? Is that what you're yeah. saying, Donaga? You were a master at it. So you take <laughs> yeah. this one. No, I, I, I actually kept. I've noticed it even more so in the last maybe season or so. It is a, a complete tactic by teams now, and I, it, it happened to me against Gloucester this year, just where they have a certain call to to pin you in there and. Like you can say, Paddy Jackson 100% is in the wrong position, but he's got Ross Ford on top of him. Like Paddy Jackson's probably 80 kgs wet. Ross <laughs> Ford is you know 110 or whatever it is. He just can't shift him. He he 100% is in the wrong spot. But if you look and, and Jamie was pinged on the last penalty over, you see Jamie trying to work to get away, but it's Richie Gray and Ross Ford on top of him again. You know, it happened to me that time, and I remember I said to Wayne Barnes, do you think I could get out of there? And he said, no, you couldn't get out of there, but it's still a penalty. So and, there's and, and, and how did that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, not great, because you know the way, but it, it is incredibly frustrating. Like, call it sportsmanship, call it what you want, but it's... Before, if someone was there, he might have got a boot or he would have been rocked out the back and it was a, a player's way of dealing with him. Whereas now it's kind of an easy way to nearly catch someone out and it's more frustrating when you get caught with it. And we're going back to the same point. The reason it happened was because we were slow off the line and we were passive in the tackle. So when you're soaking up tackles, you're in a terrible position. Whereas if you've momentum, the ref, you know, if you're winning the gain line and, and the collision, back on their side of it you tend to get away with falling different sides of the ball whereas when you're soaking it up he's just looking at the attacking team being dominant there and that's what he saw again so I think you know watch the space in terms of that penalty that unfortunately Jamie got caught with and Paddy because I think it is and I know from Laidlaw I know it's something he's used to you know doing with Gloucester and and looking to pin guys in there and, 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 and earn an easy three points but I think it's just frustrating the way to fix it is to sort out your defence that you don't sit back and wait in the line but when when it happens it is very frustrating Ross Ford just instructions before the game go out there and sit on people that's <laughs> so you got two of them there just the, that's it's, it's almost the stuff you miss isn't it but it's just you must have a, have a look back again and just well, well that's good because he doesn't bother hooking like so <laughs> yeah go out there just have a seat on this lad and, and get yeah. us a few penalties right um, that probably brings us to all you want to talk about with that game it was um, yeah uh, we'll be back after a few seconds to talk about the other two games of the weekend Okay, well, Ireland obviously kicked off the Six Nations weekend and then it was over to Twickenham, where it was a title game. Um, Not a classic, but intense in its own way. And uh, I was flicking between the channels and I tell you what, it was a far better better watch in RTE. Hugh Cattle was caffeined up to nine and it was very good. And the English lads were not enjoying it on ITV for much of that game. No, no, they they weren't. They they made hard work of it, and um, interesting to see Eddie Jones coming out and doing the Mourinho thing and kind of deflecting it and putting it all on his head, and it was his fault and stuff. But um, yeah, they they kind of needed the bench there, like a, like it's kind of a modern thing now, and isn't in in rugby that the bench should, they see themselves as impact players, and they certainly needed those impact players to get yeah. themselves over F- the line. Finish finishers is what I've heard them called. Finishers, yeah. yeah. 
That's yeah. one, opti- one optimistic way of looking at it, isn't you're, it? You're not dropped. You're a finisher. <laughs> yeah. The worrying thing for the rest of the teams is, though, that England will not play that poorly again. They were really, really poor. And France were actually good. Uh, I was disappointed they didn't win in the end. They were dominating collisions. Uh, they were on top of the scrum, particularly at the end. Um, but they actually look like a team that don't know how to win a big game now. They, they don't have a lot of players in there that are used to winning in big games. And it just looked like they didn't have the confidence or know what to do. <laughs> the, the two Fijian wingers didn't give them much chance at the end as well kind of throwing the ball into touch a few times but um, yeah that that's what it comes down to you need to have players who know how to close out tight games and to win and tweak in them um, you've got to have that so. and, and it was a tight game it was nine all half time it was 19-16 full time this was a one score game and you know England would all have be, always have been favourites to win that mm. but France did show us something I mean pick and was awesome yeah, yeah, he he was um, he looks like a, a slimmer version of the the guy we saw kind of looking around the top fourteen last season, and um, the, the move over to England seems to have uh, re-energized him a little bit, and and he was definitely their standout player. But Seran, who everybody kind of flagged as a guy to watch, he, he had a great game as well, and um, yeah, it was just a shame that maybe the, the, the Fijian wingers were dishing out these offloads to the sidelines rather than teammates, and and Dusan came on again and kind of did what he usually does, and which is not much like so. Um, England's subs kind of made a difference whereas French subs kind of came on and just uh, they just didn't give them anything extra well, Speaking of teammates Dunica it was your teammate Ben Teo who scored the crucial try um, it, yeah. playing for England obviously always his dream since uh, since a young boy <laughs> Yeah well he's massively proud like to be fair to him when you chat to him it means a lot to him to go up the camp he, um, he's a guy that goes up there and learns improves loves the environment up there and um, I'd be fair I'm the kind of guy that would look to improve and get better and I think what Eddie Jones has got going on within that squad seems to be something special and I know you're taking the mick there calling them finishers but when you get an environment like that where the whole 23 feel valuable to the whole squad then you're in a good place you know there is an awful lot of times where you can maybe distance yourself they get very little reps whereas you chat to Benny and he is completely convinced of his role, what's needed for him when he gets on. And yesterday it was only seven minutes but or eight, or eight minutes, but it was crucial to the team that he performed and, 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 and you know, did the tasks that were set out to him. And, um, you know, you look at their impact off the bench and, like, even just a small thing, calling them finishers all week. You know, if, you, if you're in that squad, you, you, you feel valued and you feel a part of it. And, um, I think their bench made a massive difference and I think it's probably one of the areas where you look around the rest of the, um, the, the Six Nations teams, I, I just don't think anyone else can bring that firepower off the bench and, you know, they have a massive playing pool but I think uh, they made a massive impact and really turned the game. So, I mean, it, it, he was obviously, there was comments he made in the press before um, Christmas, so this would be a, a really, really good shot in the arm for Teo this year, because he, 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 he seemed a bit frustrated at the start of the season, is that fair? Yeah, yeah, 100, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I love the fella, he challenges everything, he challenges fitness programs, staff, and for me it, it's great, because you just know he wants to kick on and, and get better, No, there's times I have to give him a clip and and just give him the stop bitch and Benny that doesn't matter you know and do you hit him very, do you hit him very hard don't you? <laughs> no no I don't really but it's just maybe sometimes going for a coffee or something like that and you can end up you know bitching and moaning but all I ask Kev that is part of rugby that's what you do but he 
genuinely wants us to improve. He wants to improve himself, and he wants to be a winner with England. That's probably, you know, it's so funny when you chat to him about what Eddie Jones is trying to create there. And I suppose when he said I'm down for goal setting, and you chat to Benny, you know, to be the best team in the world, and he really, really is challenging the players not just to say it, but to truly believe it. And you know, just from being over there, the English, they're crazy. You know, if you tell them something enough, they start to believe it. And, you know, well, with that, Eddie That's Jones how we got Brexit done in Cadunco down that road, in fairness. <laughs> um, but, but, like, was that, this, that's the dangerous thing, right? Eddie, they've had a really good year in 2016. Um, this, is a, this is a slow start. They got the win, though, against France. Um, Kev, is that the dangerous thing for Ireland and the rest of the Championship, that that was England's bad game? Yeah, it is, and uh, it's a sign of a really good team that they literally just can't lose no matter how badly they play. And England haven't lost in a long time; they've forgotten how to lose. And uh, Leinster got in a couple of roles like that when I when I was there, and it's a lovely feeling where you're playing terribly, but you just know you have that experience, and it's the opposite of what France have. And just going back to Theo, like he's a really big, big character, and it's a sign of a good coach that can get the most out of him, particularly when he's off the bench. Because, like Dunners is saying there, he's a big character. He would 100% believe he should be starting for England. So to get him off the bench and to get him acting as effectively as he did yesterday, and actually helping England implement the win like he did, is a sign of a coach that is a big character a big figure and exactly what England need to control all the egos there if you've got a big character like that I mean tell us how that can go wrong with the likes of Ben yeah uh, it can be destructive on the squad because at the end of the day um, as Dunners will attest to you've got to put the team first and that that's the, like whether you're picked or you're not picked the training in the week leading up to a game it's so important that the opposition team and the subs put in a huge effort and challenge the starting team and if anyone in the opposition team puts their heads down, it has an impact on the rest of the non-starting guys, uh, and that is cancerous across the squad. Um, and that's where getting someone like Ben Teo to buy in when he's not starting um, takes a strong coach and takes strong man management, and it's something that Eddie Jones is obviously extremely effective of because this England team just knows how to win and knows how to perform on the big stage, and uh, I think they're going to be very difficult to beat in the rest of this tournament. Yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> it, it's, um, I was just kind of saying it, it is interesting to kind of see about that kind of um, you're you're either going to be starting or not because Ireland were even talking about that of like they look like they actually picked their team last week to play and so like I suppose you're in camp for a whole week and you know you're not even going to be starting but you have to kind of keep your heads up as well like it's um, yeah you know it's it's kind of a thing where you know you really kind of need to buy into it and, and I know O'Gara was kind of saying he hated kind of being a sub but he sounded like he kind of bought into it near the end of his career Roger's a great example because I've been a tackling bag in Carton House loads and loads of times unfortunately because I was either on the bench or kind of on the fringes more often than not for Ireland uh, over the course of my career and I was there when the kind of Sexton overtook Raj kind mm-hmm. of period and he was amazing to play with on the on the opposition team. He actually inspired me and got the most out of me. And that must have been very mentally challenging for him. But um, Dunners will give you more insight. But Rog is obviously a very strong character to be able to do that. So. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, Kev, you know it. You're dealing with such egos around. Like when you you're picking the best players from their club, so they're not used to not getting picked. Like you look at Haskell and Danny Kerr and Jamie George there informed players big massive players that win with their club week in week out to have these you know and Benny like to have them not involved it, it does involve a, a skill of a coach to 
to basically man manage them and have them all on task that they're all pulling the same way. And I think, to be fair, Teddy Jones, that's what he's done at the moment. And I think you're right. I think the way rugby is going, you know, your your 15 players is gone. You need a massive squad. You need guys champing for places. But not only that, you need them to feel like they're going to get a run. So. You know, will Benny be frustrated if he does this for three weeks in a row, makes massive impacts and doesn't actually get a start? And that, that's the skill of management. That's the skill of a good coach to be able to spot all these things and, and you know, go with the ebbs and flows of the game, but also with uh, the, the, the selection that sometimes those players, because the squad will say he's playing well, he needs to be rewarded. So, um It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start next week um, with Farrell at out half, especially against the. Yeah. They're playing against Wales, aren't they? Yeah, like yeah. against big centres. I wouldn't be surprised to see him throw Tio in and, and see how that goes. It should be an interesting game. Yeah, and before we go on to the Wales game, um, I just want to note that Roger was absolutely not telling you, Kev, to just line up Johnny Sexton and every <laughs> training <laughs> run in Carton House. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. Uh, sure, lots of people were lining Johnny up anyway, so <laughs> didn't need to tell him. Um, yeah, so then the the final game um, was Wales winning. At, the scoreline looked fairly easy, but um, Italy were actually in that for a long time. Um, Dunica, it, it, what, not, not a classic? Oh, it was awful. It was awful. I, honestly, it was the only one I wish I watched Frozen during it. It was a terrible game. Oh. Like, it, but it, it's always those games against Italy... It, really hard work for 60 minutes and you just have to keep plugging away and then at the end you'll, you'll pull away you know the work you do maybe in the first 30 minutes will reward you and I was hoping watching it today that you know the Conor O'Shea influence of and, and there's simple things Italy need to just be better at you know they can't keep compounding errors themselves so you know drop ball into penalty they tend to do that an awful lot and the discipline is always really bad and today you know they started with a really strong scrum but you know when the game has gone from them it just imploded and it looks like they gave up and I'll be honest I'm massively frustrated with both the Italian national team and their you know their pro 12 teams because they just haven't pushed on in both international and 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 club um, in, and the club scene and when you look how hard some teams have to work to get into Europe. Well, what would Georgia give to be in the Six Nations or Romania or, or any of them? You know, and do you look at Italy in there and they're just not improving? I, I'm, I'm frustrated with them. Yeah, there's some optimism uh, that Conor O'Shea coming into the Italy setup, everything would change. He knows how to win big games. He knows how to coach big teams. But the fact is, he's got a much bigger battle on his hands. He's got to sort out the, the two provincial teams, mm-hmm. and they're a shambles at the moment. They're getting pumped by 50 points every week. They don't know how to win. They don't know how to play at a high level. And then they're expected to come in uh, for Italy and play against a team like Wales. I mean, I, I thought they put in a brave fight, but it was usually usual kind of fifty minutes fight, pre-say leading from the front, and then last half an hour they just got blown out, blown away, and nearly conceded a bonus point. So disappointing, but I think it's we need to give Conor O'Shea a chance here. Yeah, that was it. O- O'Shea was kind of saying he hopes that they that result, even beating South Africa there last November gives him a little bit of time a little bit of change in the bank as well but because it's going to be a, you have to like look after the under 20 side and kind of bring through players he's going to be trying to 
sort out the kind of club sides as well so um, yeah I suppose maybe from an Irish perspective it's good that they've faded and it's good that there's only a six day turnaround as well because we're going to need to go there and get a bonus point too uh, yeah, but let's be clear like Conor O'Shea he's beaten South Africa with Italy that's it yeah. that's it that's the entry on the CV and he, he's he got it for when he goes for the next job which presumably at some stage will be Ireland um, but he's got it but I agree can he sort out the provincial thing if he manages to exert influence along with someone like Steve Abood there with their, on, the, on the technical side that would actually be a far far bigger thing for rugby as a whole I think than the just politics, the I think the politics in Italy and Italian rugby though are going to be very difficult for him to navigate particularly with his rugby Italian so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a tough battle for him over there I think yeah, I've no doubt. So that that's the task for him, you know. In, in terms of, he took on that role knowing that you know he might have one or two big good days, and for other coaches that might be good enough, but not for him. You look what he's done with Harlequins. He he is a great director of rugby coach. He he is going there to change Italian rugby, and when he surrounds himself with guys like Steve Abood, who Kevin, you know, we would have worked with through the academy systems, he puts in. In, in place brilliant processes and you're right we have to get um, you know give them time for all that to be implemented but you know you're looking at Italy coming into the uh, competition now for 20 years and for me it's just the, the big players the Parises there you know when just throwing the toys out of the pram when it doesn't go his way and it's it's a mentality kind of maybe it's an Italian trait but you know maybe he has to make really big calls when he looked at some of his big players and you know maybe they're um, you know they're they're so used to conducting themselves in a certain way that he might actually have to crack the whip an awful lot harder than he thinks. Yeah, I look forward to going over and giving him a clip. Like Ben, we'll see how that goes. Um, listen, uh, Duncan, we'll let you go back off to uh, daddy daycare and actual priorities, real life. Um, we will be back with Helia O'Connor from Ladbrokes. Okay, and we're back with Hayley O'Connor in studio from uh, Ladbrokes. Hello, Hayley. Thanks for coming in. You're very welcome. Um, so you were looking at some of the changes in the betting market since the weekend's games, and Ireland, obviously, since the loss, have moved out quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Ireland they, um, had its supporters, and you know they were second favourites. Um, you know, to win the tournament. Um, but yesterday's defeat has obviously um, seen them pushed out significantly. They they doubled in price to 5-1 to one after the match and now they're out at 11-2, to two, which leaves them level um, with Wales. Um, and I suppose uh, the thing is really about go- looking forward is are we going to improve? And um, obviously there was, we were sluggish and um, but there's positives to, to take from the match. So um, actually Scotland winning we thought would be a, a bit of a bad result because they weren't without their support. They were popular at, at two to one. Um, but Ireland, uh, people got stuck into Ireland in play and they were backing them after the, the um, after uh, Scotland tried their second, uh, got their second try. They were out to seven to four. So our book was was levelled fairly okay. And um, so basically you were saying before we came in here that Stuart Hogg has been fairly heavily backed beforehand <laughs> at 40 to 1 if he dropped try score. 40 to 1? 40 to 1. <laughs> yeah, well, we, missed out on that. <laughs> we were quite shocked by it. I mean, we kind of put this down to like patriotic punters up in Scotland. But um, yeah, he was he's, he's going to be a shocking loser for us if he is the top tournament try scorer. 40 to 1, he was backed at um, right into into favourite now at 3 to oh. 1. And after his his uh, his double rush yesterday and um, just behind him then is is George North at, at 4 to 1 after his his uh, try for Wales and uh, Keith Earls then is 8 to 1 
Right. So can Earl do it next week against Italy? That's the thing. Yeah, actually, Earl, yeah, he loves a bit of Italy, yeah, doesn't he? Um, I think he did. He get a hat trick against him or two against him in the World Cup, and um, yeah, he always seems to do them. So, and bonus points are going to be needed. So that's actually not a bad, not a bad one. Oh, I've missed on, that. Miss- are we counting on bonus points in Italy already? Yes. After, <laughs> after. So, okay. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm counting them as well, and I've given them, I've awarded them to Ireland already as well. It's, it's, that's that's how cocky I am. That's how cocky I was before the Scotland game as well. But I might get on the Earls thing now because I've missed out on Hog. Six day turnaround for Italy. Um, and uh, Parise look really beaten up in the game mm. I, think, I think Ireland uh, are going to take a lot of slack in the press this week and I think they're going to come out and do a job in Italy Would you see any changes? Uh, Sexton might come back in Dunnock Ryan could come back into the mix How about the back row? Back row I don't think will change Okay. Would you back them minus 16 points? Yeah, 16 point spread you Yeah I probably would Probably would actually Yeah I'd, I'd go for that I, I, think, I don't think Sexton's going to make it but I think they're going to stick with Jackson even even if Sexton is kind of 80% I think they're going to give Jackson this other game just to kind of because they need to cope without Sexton so by doing that just give Saxon one more game uh, Jackson I said Saxton there I think which is nice. <laughs> if you could combine those I skills it'd be Saxon, great yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah I kind of think they can do get the job done and um, you know but again it's the same thing just bash into them for 50-60 minutes and see where you are and then maybe cut loose after that Okay, and then you've got England playing. Sorry, England did play France. What am I talking about? Um, who are England playing next Wales. week? England, Wales. Wales. Thank yeah. you very much. In Wales, um, there's going to be a large, large amount of collisions in that game, as always. That's going to be a great game. Um, I'd expect England to win it, but I think it's going to be a very, very tight game. And uh, I don't know what the handicap is for that. How do you have it there? Yeah, well, well it was under construction when I was talking to the traders, but I think it's going to be around a, a five-point um, spread. But I think I know that we're going to be looking to to take on um, England for that match because. I don't think our traders were uh, overly impressed with them. Um, they kind of thought that you know France were the better team and have had they've been a bit more clinical than um, England just toughed it out and dogged it out. But um, they're definitely going to be taking a strong position against them next week. Wales yeah. plus five, nice bet. Yeah, yeah. but Fran- France and Scotland's going to be turned into a really interesting game because Scotland looked good against us. I mean, they genuinely in did Paris, look good. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Paris. And then France, you're going to see as well, did they just turn up for the English and can they actually bring in the wingers into a game plan? Yeah, I think uh, I think Scotland are going to struggle over there, to be honest. I was impressed with France and uh, I think if they can just keep their composure, uh, I think they'll beat Scotland. Yeah, because like, a lot of things went well for Scotland today. I mean, we know they played well, they took their chances, but they, the scrum was being minced and they had, there was one scrum in the second half on Saturday I mean that that that's very unusual that's not going to happen again No it isn't and uh, I think France might make a couple of changes and uh, Slimani they might start the tight head Slimani rather than I know Antonio even though he weighs about 180 kilos <laughs> um, they might bring in Slimani for a start and, and target the Scottish scrum and the scrum going backwards in Paris the crowd get into it they create a connection with the Stade de France supporters again um, could be a bit of a bloodbath in Paris Okay I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I'm just very, very thrown by Saturday. Everything's gone wrong. Get off the fence, Andy, and put your money down. Come on. I will. T- I will take the sixteen points. Okay. So yes, if yeah. you guys want to go against me, then I. I do. I'm not as confident. Um, against I will, Italy, though. I will put a pint of Arthur's finest on that. Yes. Okay. To. Yeah. I'll take that. Okay. Grand. Haley, what side are you on on that? What side am I on the, on the, six, side? the, six, the sixteen point <laughs> sixteen point spread Ireland Italy? Oh no, it wouldn't be my kind of bet. No way, no okay. way. Um, I think I'd rather back. I think I'd rather back uh, France to be honest against Scotland. Interesting. Okay, right. Time to wrap it up. Uh, Kevin McLaughlin, thank you very much.
Cheers, Andy. Pat Gary, thank you for racing back from Murrayfield purely to be at this table. It was all worth it, yeah. Uh, thank you, Dunnico Callan, for letting us into uh, his daddy daycare for the day. And thanks, Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes, for coming welcome. in. Uh, my name is Andy McGeady. Joe Harrington is our producer. Evan Fanning is Sports Joe's editor. And Shane Dempsey is doing the complicated technician things beside us here. Get in touch by tweeting any of us or at sportsjoe.ie and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or through your favourite podcast app. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport.